This episode is brought to you by stamps.com. If you are a small business owner, you know how much hard work and effort goes into maintaining a small business. I know because I am an indie podcaster. So if you've got a small business, you know that there is nothing more valuable than your time. So stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. Stamps.com basically brings the services of the US Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're in an office sending invoices, a side hustle, Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and standard printer. No special supplies or equipment and within minutes, believe you me, within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. There is no risk. And with my promo code POD, P-O-D, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in POD, P-O-D, stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. You know, sometimes when I'm hearing conversations about diversity and inclusion, it's always sort of erring on, there's not enough, you know, we, we, we need more representation. And I always think, I, I see a lot of it though. We kind of shift our focus to mainstream content and we ignore the independent content. People stop when they see that they're not gaining traction and they give yeah. up and they think, oh, nobody's paying attention. And that's, that's the difference between someone who chooses to do this because they're passionate about it and someone that's in it for the clicks and the revenue. People are going to kind of lift you to a standard that mm. may be higher than what you would have even expected of yourself. And um, that can be challenging. Hey, Migrantly listeners, welcome back. This is your host, Sadia Khan, with a fun and insightful episode today. So as you know, Migrantly is focusing this season on the larger theme of media representation, which I am extremely excited about. Many people and constructs fall under this umbrella, including online publications and podcasts like our own. As I'm having these interviews with folks who work in or surrounding media, I'm once again astonished by how eclectic and intersectional all of it is. Just as media serves to publicize important issues in politics and society, let us not forget it is also here to make us laugh, think and build connections. 
Jamie Broadnecks recognized this very potential when she created an online community, Black Girl Nerds, in 2012 for self-identifying women nerds of color. Participants could safely and unabashedly geek out on things like anime and comic books since Black Girl Nerds has transformed into a multimedia platform and podcast dedicated to changing the narrative around geek culture for people of color. Other than being the CEO and editor-in-chief of Black Girl Nerds, Jamie somehow finds time to also write for platforms like Vulture and Huffington Post and serve as a member of the Critics' Choice Association. Well, we talked about some interesting matches on this episode, such as the perception and reality of nerd culture and how the Bechtel test can be expanded to include women of color. Let's get started. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on Immigrantly. I am extremely excited and I am going to delve into something that I have no idea about. So this is going to be fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So I wanted to start by asking you, how did you get into comics, sci-fi and you know, different nerdy genres um, of pop culture. But then I thought, you know what? I want to know what really constitutes nerd culture. And I want to take a step back and I'll ask you to give us a definition of what nerd culture is all about. Oh, that's a great question. Um, The first part, as far as what got me into it, I've always been into um, pop culture And as a kid, I was into comics. I grew up on the X-Men. I grew up on a lot of Marvel comics, Avengers, all those guys. My mom would drop us off at the comic book store. and, And yeah, we would just read comics. And I was a little bit of a tomboy growing up. So, you know, especially back then, back in the late 80s, early 90s, that fandom was heavily dominated by men and boys. So, Mm. you know, the girls weren't really into that. And um, I would just hang out with them and we would, you know, trade cards, Marvel cards and, and the books and all of that. And I'd watch all the shows. So it it, it was definitely something that was bred in me as a kid. Um, As far as the second part of your question, what defines nerd culture? I've always found that the word nerd is an elusive term. So it it means different things to different people. Um, You know, obviously for me and and my brand and and Black Girl Nerds, it's under the fandom entertainment umbrella of nerd culture. But, you know, for some people, nerdiness is about more, you know, academia, uh, science, you know, the STEM fields. There's just not a one-way path to nerdiness (laughs) it can just it can mean so many things you can nerd about all different things as far as you know whether it's books or right now I'm nerding out over plants I'm a recent plant mom so um I I just think uh it it can mean different things to different people which is great because um who wants to be put in a box 
Right. I love that. So let's talk about Black Girl Nerds. You mentioned that. That's your online platform that covers a host of different issues and topics, right? I was scrolling through the articles um, and I could see exclusives with entertainers, reviews on Black-owned beauty brands and highlights of even influential Indigenous artists, right? The content is varied. It's very diverse. Did you originally envision this for Black Girl Nerds, for it to be this multi-hyphenated, or was it something that just happened? Definitely the latter. (laughs) I did not not envision uh, what you see today back in 2012 when the site first started. Uh, It was really at the beginning about me and my personal musings on nerd culture. Um, Mm. So, you know, it was essentially what a blog is and was definitely back then, like a personal diary or an account of your own experiences. So Mm. that was what Black Girl Nerds, you know, the intent was then. But it evolved into something way out of my control, way beyond anything I could have ever imagined because I had a, a published author reach out to me literally 24 hours after the site had been published on the web saying, hey, I stumbled onto your site. I would love to write content (laughs) for your site. And, um, you know, that was sort of the impetus of uh, kind of what you see today. More people were wanting to you know, fill that gap. And and also back then in 2012, there wasn't a lot of black nerd sites. So um, it, it was it was endearing to have so many people that wanted to just be a part of it and, and write the content and express themselves in a way that they, you know, couldn't do on other sites that were out at the time. So talking about your blogging, Jamie, what initially inspired you to start blogging? Was there a trigger um, because it seems like it was more spontaneous, right? It kind of was. Um, so I worked in the corporate, you know, nine to five type. I worked for a Fortune 100 company at the time, and I actually wanted to move up in the ranks of that company and work mm. in marketing and applied for many, many, many positions in the marketing uh, field and even went back to school for it so I could get a job. And got rejected at every turn. Every interview that I, you know, interviewed for, rejection after rejection. Um, And I guess God was just trying to tell me, this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. Um, Because even I had flown out to corporate twice for interviews, thinking, okay, they're flying me out for this interview. I have to have it. (laughs) (laughs) And um, still didn't didn't get the job. So I was just like, I'm just going to do something that I want to do. And um, I just started writing. Um, And then I was interested in writing for other sites that were talking about nerd culture. And at the time, you know, there, there were sites, they weren't black owned sites, but there were sites Mm. um, that were supposed to be for women and about women. um, And I wanted to write for them. And, you know, I I got rejected there. Um, So then Mm. um, I, I just decided to create a blog so it, it kind of was spontaneous creating the blog part because I literally went to Google to figure out how to do that. But I did have um, experience in blogging because I used to write about um, independent film uh, many years prior. So I, I did have experience, but I, I looked onto Google as far as, you know, how to 
be a little bit more updated and enhance it because I had sort of got a little rusty. But yeah, I, you know, I Googled the term black girl nerds, nothing came up. And that was sort of the, the nail that just was like, okay, that made me realize I need to do this. Uh, I'm having these feelings of wanting to write, be creative. Nobody's hiring me on the corporate side. Nobody wants to hire me as a writer freelance wise. Mm. So I will just create my own. And that's what I did. So here's the thing. When I think about comic world or when I think about nerd culture in general, like any other form of entertainment, this industry is grappling with the idea of diversity, right? And what I see happening is that there is a lot of gatekeeping. We see that in all the different industries. America's population composition is not actually reflected in any industry, and we can pick any and talk about that. How difficult was it for you to break through that inertia? And were there any challenges you faced initially? Yeah, I mean, I remember even using the term blurred, which is the portmanteau term for black nerd. I remember that even being considered divisive. And Hmm. um, it was even divisive within the black community. I remember black nerds, not wanting to embrace the term at the time. Uh, this writer from The Root even was like not um, on board with that term. But I think um, as far as breaking through diversity, yes, there were the white you know, guys that was like, what is this? Black girl nerds, this sounds like race baiting. You know, this is reverse mm. discrimination. You know, of course, that crop of folks came and criticized the site But for the most part, it really wasn't that challenging because I think Hmm. there were there are a lot of white people, you know, that were actually intrigued to see this perspective of nerd culture. Hmm. Um, So they would gravitate towards the site and the online community and, you know, see what is being talked about, especially, you know, we would focus on black superheroes and black characters in sci-fi. And these characters were always super marginalized. So Uh for us to put them in the forefront, as opposed to the characters that everyone was used to seeing, that offered a very refreshing perspective. So Hmm. it wasn't as challenging as one would think. So creating Black Girl Nerds, And even now, I've never had a lot of pushback as far as navigating in spaces, in white spaces or in spaces where people feel like, you know, diversity is something that shouldn't be a thing or whatever. People have been very supportive. Talking about diversity, what does true or authentic representation look like to you? Because I feel like we use the term diversity and inclusion a lot. Like I've used it so many times on my podcast, but I've started to rethink the idea how it's used and what does it really mean? Like I'm having this introspective moment where I'm like, what does diversity really mean to us, right? What does it mean to you? 
It means that everybody can have a seat at the table. It means that everybody's voices can be heard. Um, it means that everybody is fully represented and seen um, and reflected in the very art and culture and works and entertainment and fandom spaces that they love. So, you know, that's what diversity means to me, that I could turn on the TV and, you know, whether it's a commercial or a movie or a TV show and see somebody that looks like me um, mm -hmm. and not a monolith of people that don't represent me. So, yeah, I, I think that's what diversity means to me is just like regular everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and unfortunately, the, the entertainment community doesn't like to reflect that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I hear you. So in terms of the audience, have you ever thought about or been curious to know who your audience is? Because as a podcast host myself, and I know you're a podcaster and we'll talk about that. Um, sometimes I think there's a certain demographic that listens to me versus who actually frequents my platform. I think they, there is some mismatch there. Uh, and sometimes, honestly, I'm surprised by my search engine analytics and I discover that one episode trended better than the other, not the one that I expected would do well. Has that happened to you? Have you seen topics that trend well that you weren't really expecting to? Do you have any insights into your audience? Wow, that's a good question. You're talking about in the podcast space? In both, in the podcast space and your online platform. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, it, it's always a tough egg to crack the algorithm of what um, gets a lot of attention, what either gets a lot of clicks on the site or what gets a lot of downloads on in the podcast space. Podcast is a little bit easier. I found that when we actually just have conversations, us as the the team, um, I, I'm now more in the background as the executive producer and editor. Mm. Um, Ryan hosts most of our, our shows. Um, but every now and then I'll jump on a podcast with Ryan and then we have another host, Angelica, um, where, like, for example, we did a breakdowns of Game of Thrones. Those did really well. Um, ah. So, like, when we do recaps, um, Ryan and Angelica did recaps of Lovecraft Country, um, The Handmaid's Tale, or if we just sit down and have conversations about hot topics, those do well. Um, mm -hmm. Believe it or not, even though we've interviewed so many people and even, like, really well-known celebrities, they don't do as well. It's so interesting. I'm like, this person's like super famous and this episode <laughs> is doing poorly. So it's like people want to just hear us, which is actually kind of comforting. Um, and then the website, I think trending news topics um, are always something that, you know, gets the most attention. Um, but then sometimes those op-eds where someone's speaking very candidly about their experiences or, you know, mm. they just have um, a very strong opinion about a show or a movie and how wrong, do, how they're doing it wrong when it comes to maybe to diversity or any other topic, mm. um, those will trend well. So it's, it's, it's touch and go on the website front. But the podcast is, yeah, they like listening to us talk. I like that. In terms of diversity, again, I am going back to diversity. What do you think about podcasting space? And because as a podcaster, I feel that the space is co-opted by white 
um, men, which is not surprising. <laughs> oh, I've got a lot to talk about on uh, about this topic. <laughs> I mean, I was literally just having a conversation with my mom about the podcast mm. because I'll be frank with you. Um, our podcast numbers have shifted dramatically over the past year. Um, mm. Actually, the probably the past year and a half. And I attribute that to the podcast space, as you put it, being co-opted by a lot of not only necessarily white people, I wouldn't even say white people. I would say by celebrities, people with privilege. Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's like Michelle Obama has a podcast, you know, (laughs) like all of these really famous people have their own podcasts now. And it's very hard for independent people like us to continue yeah. that sustainability. I mean, I've been podcasting since 2013. So I've been wow. in the game for a minute, but, and I've seen the highs and the lows. But, you know, even at the high, it wasn't that many people in the mm. space. And I think because it's becoming overcrowded, uh, yeah. it's not allowing, and I, I kind of feel bad for people that are just now getting into podcasting because mm. the competition is so fierce. I mean, at least back when I started, you know, you kind of had a bit of a shot, but now it's, it's rough out there. Uh, so, you know, I you're competing you, yeah. with people like Joe Rogan who gets hundred million dollar deals from Spotify. And, um, if you're trying to do this for a living, which I know a lot of people who are interested in podcasts want to do that. Yeah. It's going to be very difficult because you're competing with massive influencers and uh, celebrities, you know, like him. That's so true. And we've faced that as well. I think it's tricky because when we look at our content and our conversations and we're like, you know, we are bringing something that's more nuanced, that's unique. But at the same time, as you mentioned we don't have the marketing budget or the resources that celebrities have. And it's almost impossible to compete on that level. But Jamie, do you think there is a recipe for success for indie podcasters, like with niche podcasting, like just that space that they can utilize? Absolutely. I think the recipe for success is number one, consistency. There's Mm. always going to be people. It may not be the number that you want right away. There's always going to be a group of people that is going to be listening to your show every week, whether it's five people or 5,000 people. Um, If you maintain that consistency and they know that every week or biweekly, however, you know, whatever the frequency of your show is, um, they know to tune into your podcast. You're, you're definitely going to be able to keep an audience that way. So frequency is important. Put out if you I actually recently just did this because of our numbers kind of slumping, put out Mm. a newsletter. If you have a newsletter and ask your listeners what they want, um, Mm. you know, that's always very helpful Um, or go to, you know, social media, go to Twitter, Facebook, do, you know, surveys. They they have survey Mm. forms now available for you to do that and ask them um, because I think it's important that they get. give you the direct feedback that you need to be able to grow. And also that will be something, you know, that they'll be willing to share with their friends. If they say, Hey, I, I, they took my feedback on this. You should check out this new podcast. Um, they're really great. But yeah, I think, I think that's the recipe for it. And, you know, just don't get discouraged if the numbers are low, because I feel like there are seasons 
because I've gone through it. Like I yeah. said, I've been doing this since 2013. So there's been seasons where we've had really high numbers, and then there's seasons where our numbers have plateaued, and then it's gone like really down, and then they spiked back up. So we're now in that season where they've kind of plateaued a little bit, and huh. um, it it comes in waves, and you can't let that get you down because not everybody's gonna you know, skyrocket to the top and, and you know, it's, <laughs> you know just, it's just not going to happen. And I'm sure that there are people, even the successful people, I'm sure even the Joe Rogans of the world have had those plateaus, have had those moments where it's, you know, I mean, obviously his numbers are massive. So his plateau is like maybe, you know, <laughs> in the millions. But still, he, he's probably had those seasons where, you know, he hasn't gotten as many downloads in a certain month or, you know, a quarter that he had in a previous quarter. So we all go through it. Sometimes people just want to listen to you because you're independent and you're not inundating your podcast with a ton of ads. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you sound like you've true. sold out. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to pivot a little and talk about your education. Now, I believe you have master's in film and bachelor's in broadcast journalism. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay. So are you working on any projects um, on either front, something that is more visual based? Like you've written articles about sci-fi films and comic books. Do you ever see yourself writing a script? Oh, that's a great question. I've written a lot of scripts that have just never been finished. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working on scripts, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and the scripts that I have written are from like a long time ago. I, I haven't had the time to sit down and write anything recent. The, the most recent work that I've done, which is actually published, is I contributed to a um, book of essays about the Babysitter's Club. Um, hmm. So that was fun. Um, but I'm so caught up with the time that I spend running Black Girl Nerds, which is, is so much to do. Um, I don't even have time to sit down and like write, write like I used to when I first got out of college. So it actually, it's funny that you bring that up about a script. It's mm. been on my mind recently for a while I don't, know, I don't know if those two words make sense, but um, <laughs> recently for a while, like it, it, it just recently, I've been just thinking about it a lot about writing screenwriting. And mm. um, I don't know. It may, maybe it's something I should look into getting back into again. It's just yeah. carving out the time to do it. So there's something that has intrigued me recently and I thought I'll run it by you. I've been looking at different measures of representation in the media. And this is something that we'll be focusing on in this season, representation in media. And that's why I just wanted to see how do we measure that? So I was looking at the Riz test based on Riz Ahmed's speech about representation of Muslims in the media. And then you know how there is this Bechtel test, which is used as an informal measure of fiction and movies on the basis of its inclusion and representation of women. So for listeners who don't know about the Bechtel test, it has three simple criteria. It has at least two named women in it. These women have a conversation with each other and the topic is not about a man. 
So this is basically the crux of Bechtel test. How do you think we could expand this test so that it's considerate of women of color? Because I couldn't find anything online or any test that would include that. Maybe I'm missing something. What do you think? What are your thoughts on that? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there's probably, you know, some scholar or academics out there that have touched on this and that have written about the topic. I think hmm. that test is definitely valid and, and needs and, and needs a name for it. Hmm. But yeah, it, it's. I think it's important because not only is it important to include women of color, but there's also an issue in communities of color where colorism plays, you know, yeah. a role that's, you know, very important and needs to be addressed. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it would be interesting to see that, that test there, but I will say this, you know, sometimes when I'm hearing conversations about diversity and inclusion, it's always sort of erring on, there's not enough, you know, we, we, we need more representation. And I always think, I, I see a lot of it though. And um, yeah. I think the problem is we kind of shift our focus to mainstream content and we ignore the independent content. We ignore mm. podcasts that are independent, you know, like mm. yours and mine um, mm. and focus on the Joe Rogans of the world. <laughs> I'm giving this guy like a lot of attention. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like, you know, we focus on the stuff that is, I guess, being co-opted by mainstream media. And we forget about the people that are out there that have been grinding for years that mm -hmm. are in independent media. And because we either don't know who they are or because they have a very small audience, we sort of dismiss them or even erase them from the conversation. And then we say there's not enough representation. Hmm. And I, from, you know, doing this work now publicly in the online space since 2012, I'm seeing that there's actually a lot more diversity than we're giving credit for. Hmm. Um, so it's something that I always think about when I'm, you know, hearing conversations or watching people talk about it, because yes, it's an important subject to talk about, but, um, you know, when I see that there are independent films made by black filmmakers, you know, or shows featuring black entertainers and those entertainers that are maybe in supporting roles are not getting interviews, they're focusing on the white cast or something, hmm. you know, it, it makes me wonder, why are we ignoring them when the diversity is actually there? Yeah. <laughs> We're just not paying attention. Do you think it has something to do with sustainability as well? I feel like we don't have enough conversations about how diverse content can be sustained over a period of time, right? Because a lot of content either gets lost or is not showcased or is just discontinued because people can't sustain it. What do you think? I agree 100% because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people stop when they see that they're not gaining traction and they give yeah. up and they think, oh, nobody's paying attention. Nobody's listening to my podcast. Nobody's right. going to my website. So I should just stop. And that's, that's the difference between someone who chooses to do this because they're passionate about it and someone that's in it for the clicks and the revenue. 
I mean, mm-hmm. if I was in this business for money, um, I would have gotten out a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I hear you. Yes, you know what I'm saying. Um, this, I would have, I would have stuck with my Fortune 100 job. <laughs> you know, I, I would be making way more money by now, staying there. Uh, so no, I'm, I'm in this because I'm very passionate about what I do. I enjoy it. I enjoy the community. I enjoy the work and the uh, impact that it's had on so many black women and not even just black women, but just so many readers and listeners over the years. Um, Mm. I, and I love the, you know, entertainment fandom community. So because I'm driven by passion, the sustainability stays. Yeah. Mm. There's, there's moments where I've hit some pretty low lows and I've been wanting to be like, I'm ready to give this thing up. But at the end of the day, I remember that this isn't even about me. (laughs) This is about a, it's about a work and a legacy that I'd like to leave behind that maybe, you know, someone else will pick up the reins or, you know, this will be something that can be remembered as, okay, this was a really, this is a great space for people to just feel like they could be themselves. And um, at the end of the day, that's, that's what black girl nerds, at least in my mind, should be all about. You know, I can totally understand where you're coming from because this is something that I think about a lot, right? There have been moments where I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, it's it's so important. The platform itself is a lot more important than me and what I am trying to do with it, right? So we start thinking about the greater good and how important platforms like these are. Uh, but I still think there is some responsibility to be had with media organizations and even people who report on them to ensure that racial and ethnic equity, right, by helping people sustain this kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a big responsibility. And um, I think that, you know, when it comes to the work that you're doing in this space, you know, I I know for me, it's, it's hard to, I always have to remember that a lot of people have these huge expectations of even me, Mm. you Mm. know, and Mm. the content that I'm putting out. Cause I always forget that, oh yeah, well, this is just a blog. (laughs) It's just, you know, (laughs) I mean, I'm just talking about nerd stuff and, you know, but then there are people that look to me to, obviously make sure that everything that we're doing is factually correct, but also that we're being sensitive to the needs of our community and, and just all of these things. And that, that is a responsibility. It's a burden to carry, um, but I'm willing to carry it, um, you know, for the sake of making sure that we maintain our integrity and, and that, um, you know, I'm fully representing the brand well. And that, and that goes for anybody that's, Mm. you know, creating their own, space, whether you're in podcasting or creating your own site, um, you're, you know, an influencer, because uh, people are going to kind of lift you to a standard that mm. may be higher than what you would have even expected of yourself. And um, that can be challenging. Yeah. So, Jamie, I want to go back to 
fantasy and adventure films, right? Um, again, something that we've talked about in the beginning. The way I see it, the films and, and you know, fantasy films, adventure films are mediums for people to basically lean into or transport themselves to a different reality apart from their own, right? And most of, I mean, such films are fiction, but that doesn't mean that there aren't lessons or practical applications embedded in that. Now, there are some people who would argue that it doesn't matter who writes or acts in these types of films because they aren't real. I mean, that's the argument I've heard um, a few times. What would you say to this comment? I say it does matter. Um, I think... Obviously, you want to make sure the right person is for the job. You don't want to just hire anyone based off of race, based off of gender, mm-hmm. um, because I think that that's a, a bad precedent to set. However, I think it is important that because there are, in fact, very talented uh, creatives of color out there that are mm-hmm. doing the work that they're given a seat at the table, that they're given these opportunities. Um, so it's not pandering. It's, it's not, you know, affirmative action or anything like that. It's giving them these opportunities because sometimes it may not even necessarily be, I mean, I don't know. I consider myself a little bit of an optimist. Sometimes it's not necessarily people being malicious with their racism. It's still racism, but hmm. they're, they're <laughs> just in their bubble. And they just go to the people that they know. And unfortunately, their bubble is very, you know, it has a very select few people. And those people mm. are usually the people that look like them, you know. Right. Um, right. So it's important to expand and go outside of your bubble because then you learn different perspectives. You learn different mm. terms. You, lo- you learn different kinds of cultures and mindsets. And that's ultimately I mean, when you think about it from even a business perspective, that's what you want because then you bring in a larger audience. You don't want to go with just people in your inner circle because then only those folks that relate to your inner circle are going to relate to your material. I like that. So in the end, if you were to define America in a word or a sentence, how would you do that? Falling apart. (laughs) (laughs) Falling at the seams. Oh, oh! How do I say this without? That was shot and sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said a sentence, or yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound so pessimistic about it, but um, we just got to do better as Americans, and um, just as a government. And I don't want to get all political on you, but there's just so many ills that are happening in this country that could easily be resolved and. Mm-hmm. Um, I think capitalism is uh, a big part of it. And, uh, you know, I think just things could be a lot better if uh, our government had a more humane approach to how they treat their citizens. Mm. Thank you so much, Jamie. This was so good. I had a lot of fun. And in the end, if you could share information with our listeners, if they wanted to go check your website, your online platform, where should they go? Yeah, the website is blackgirlnerds.com. You can go to the website and uh, if you go to the website, you can subscribe to our newsletter. We distribute content every week. 
You can find us on all of the socials at Black Girl Nerds. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And uh, check out We Are the Babysitter's Club, essays and artwork from grown-up readers. That's a book that recently was published that I am a contributor on. So uh, that's Mm. in local bookstores everywhere. And yeah. Thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a brilliant job. Thank you for coming on our show. Thank you for having me. At the 2019 Glamour Women of the Year Awards, director Eva DuVernay recommended that we stop asking for a seat at the table, to stop leaning into spaces that were not built for us. Instead, she urged us to build our own tables and create a seat at that table for all of us. New spaces for us to evolve and create our own concepts outside of the confines of what has been given. I was reminded of this when Jamie spoke about her experiences growing up appreciating a male-dominated field. She created a space where the term black nerd is not divisive, but embraced. I am looking forward to this being an ongoing theme throughout this season, as I'm pretty sure all of our trailblazers have this passionate initiative in common. Until next time, take care.